0: Hey, it's Jag. Before you listen to today's episode of the podcast, it's a little bit unusual, so I wanted to take you behind the scenes of how it came together. Back in February, Brent Axe, who was a summer staffer when he was in high school at 89-1 The Pulse, and then eventually went on to become one of the biggest names in sports broadcasting in Syracuse, came on, told us about his journey. Again, that was February 14th. Well, as you all know, in March, after the basketball season ended, Jim Beheim was out as coach. Well, two days after Bayheim was out, Brent Axe was out at Galaxy Media. So how exactly did that happen? You're going to hear Brent explain his side of the story at length for the first time here. So the first 30 minutes of today's episode are the interview that we recorded back in February. And then after the break, you'll hear Brent explain what happened after our first interview. I hope you'll listen all the way to the end because Brent will explain how this story ties back to JPZ and lessons that can be learned for former current and future students
1: for half a century wjpz syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50.
0: Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. If you know Sports Talk in Syracuse, you are definitely familiar with our guest today. He is Brent Axe.
2: Welcome to the show. John, thanks for having me. This has been an incredible series and, and I'm I'm thrilled to be a part of it.
0: So take me back to your involvement with JPZ. You weren't an SU student, but you worked there when you were just a baby, right?
2: That's right. I've got a pretty unique story here. Uh, I'm one of the few Z89 slash 89 one, the pulse, as we'll talk about alums out there that did not go to Syracuse university. Mm-hmm. I remember it distinctly. I was walking the halls of Bishop Ludden high school and supposed must've been 1994. And I see a flyer on the wall, old school. Mm-hmm. That says. 89 won the Pulse looking for summer interns. So I had just started getting into air quotes broadcasting when I was at Bishop Ludden because I was always walking around the halls, just talking sports and being me. And uh, Sister Nancy comes up to me one day and she's like, you know, you're always yapping about sports (laughs) and doing all these things. You know, why don't you do the morning announcements? And John, I just kind of took over. You know, it used to be Sister Nancy just kind of like blandly reading us the, you know, the cafeteria menu. (laughs) So I just kind of stepped in there. I'm doing Letterman top 10 bits and saying Sister Nancy walking in, saying, oh, how how lovely you look today and sports and all kinds of stuff. I played music over the PA one day. That didn't go very well. Wow, What did you play? Stone Temple Pilots. (laughs) Interstate Love Song. Nice. Uh, That didn't go very well. (laughs) That's the one and only day I played music. So I just kind of had gotten into this, right? I was doing uh PA for the boys basketball team, won the state championship that year. And I see this flyer on the wall and I go to this meeting that must've been Watson hall, right? Where they, yep. and I was like, oh, that sounds fun. And they just kind of threw me in the pool. So I remember my first gig, if you will, there was a remote at an old bike shop on Erie Boulevard in Syracuse called Wayne's bike store. Okay. And I show up and for the first like 20 minutes, I couldn't tell you who was there doing the remote. I can picture the, the faces. I just don't remember the names. And for the first 20 minutes, they thought I was just like a listener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just hanging out. And then after a while, I'm like, "Um, I'm Brent. I'm the new intern, right? And then like, oh, okay. So then it just kind of went from there, you know, at the radio station and, and doing every shift in the book and just kind of whatever they needed me to do. It was incredible
0: so with that being the pulse that was dan austin and jeff way that were kind of running the show when you first walked into the station that's right and obviously if you're playing stone temple pilots over your high school pa the music was a home run for you at that time
2: uh it was right in my wheelhouse you know i just started getting into all that you know the grunge era and i mean go through all the names pearl jam Soundgarden, stone temple pilots and to have that radio station make that switch i mean i knew what z89 was i listened to z89 i mean Back in the day, it was a huge deal. Yep. As you've talked about, and, and many great guests have talked about on this podcast, but there was something just so cool and revolutionary about this new thing they were doing. And that it was the music I was listening to. And, but we were doing sports too. Remember, John, this is 1995. Yep. Sports talk radio is in its infancy, right? We don't know what the hell we're doing. WFAN, the first all sports radio station goes on the air in 1988, mm-hmm. right? So everybody's just kind of trying to figure out what we're doing. And I just thought this is the greatest thing in the world that I could come hang out with these guys. And I can't even remember what day it was, but whatever slot we had, you know, a little two hour window where you could talk sports is what we did. And we just kind of figured it out as we went along. And speaking of sports, like that was my first sports experience. I. Again, I'm bad with names here, but I remember a guy took me to a Syracuse Chiefs game. Yeah, I didn't know we could go to these games for free with a press pass. <laughs> so we go, and this is the old MacArthur Stadium in Syracuse, New York, before the new stadium opened up, which was a dump. Yeah, but it had its charms too. And I went to the game, and we cover the game, and we're up in this old rickety press box. And then he's like, "Okay, let's go down to post game." And I was like, "What's that? Right? Like, Wait, we get to go in the in the locker room?" And we get to talk to people. And John, I remember being in there. We are kind of waiting for some players to come over. And there's all this food over on on this table. (laughs) This
0: created a monster. No wonder why you've done this full time for over two decades now.
2: So I take two steps towards it. And I just remember a gentleman from WSYR puts his hand on my shoulder. And he says, son, I would not recommend you do that. Oh. Because that was the post-game spread for the players. (laughs) 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 Right? So, I mean, I got the bug. I'm like, man, we get to do this and cover sports and talk to these athletes. But man, as we'll talk about, just being a DJ, being on the air, playing tunes. I did overnights. I did mornings. I did afternoons. I mean, you name it, I did it.
0: So this is during breaks while the SU students were, were gone from the Hill, right? This is the thing
2: too. Yeah, this is summer. And I did a couple of winter shifts too. Mm-hmm. It's a skeleton crew. Oh yeah. Right. So you're seeing a lot of the same faces and covering shifts for people that couldn't make it. And I don't know, we kind of barely held it together. I remember Dan and Jeff getting stressed at times about how many people were there, but we made it work. Right. And they were appreciative that they had somebody that, I mean, I showed up whenever it was needed. I had a part-time job working at like a grocery store in the summertime. So I I balanced that out a little bit. Yeah. But it was incredible to be in there and the energy and doing giveaways. And I I remember we, we, were associated somehow. We gave away a bunch of tickets to a Goo Goo Dolls concert. Okay. Right? This was before the Goo Goo Dolls were were big. This is like alternative. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is like truly alternative. And being at this show, it must have been at the Landmark. It was in a small theater. Mm-hmm. And there was probably like only 500 people there. Oh, wow. I remember just feeling the energy and how incredible that was to be a part of something like that. And at the time, I remember we DJed a few parties on the hill, right? It was yeah. some kind of dj service we had and i i helped out with that a little bit and even in the summertime there was there was events like that going on. there's a little bit of everything it was something new every day so
0: you're doing some stuff during the school year too helping out when when they needed an extra set of hands and you're a high school boy and surrounded by college girls at these parties i can't imagine that was a
2: bad gig <laughs> john i'm gonna tell you i'm not gonna lie uh Brent got a few dates nice out of the the dj days and doing things like that like you said But it was fun, and we were just having a ball. And we hung out outside of the radio station, too, doing stuff. I know you said you're bad with names and faces. Obviously, Dan and Jeff
0: were running the show, but do you remember any other folks that you were working with at the time, whether they were other summer staffers or other folks at the station, any other names come to mind?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely remember uh, Dave Kreider, who was another intern like me, didn't go to Syracuse, and Jay Palladino. Mm -hmm. I remember those guys did the morning show a lot, and I kind of hung out with them a few times and did that. I remember Matt Kaufman, hung, hanging out with him. He was amazing. What what a great dude. Uh, outside of the radio station. I mean, I don't want to name names here. I Let's just say we uh, we took some substances and went and saw Independence Day. Oh, wow. That,
0: that would have been a great movie to see in an altered state.
2: It was a great movie to see in altered state. But that's what we did. We hung out outside of the radio station. And I remember just like it's it was summertime, you know, just hanging out, whatever house they had. I don't know, somewhere on campus, you know, I'm a high school kid. I'm a junior in high school and a senior hanging out with these college kids. And they kind of showed me the way in a lot of things. But what really stood out to me, what I remember about that is not just having fun and hanging out with these guys. It was they had a passion for this. They had a passion for radio. And I didn't appreciate it at the time, but I appreciate it now, John. Yeah. I mean. This was a real radio station. Right, absolutely. Right, you learn the way. So when I went to Herkimer County Community College, that's where I go to college eventually. I didn't have the grades to get into Syracuse. And let's just say I concentrated a bit more on my lacrosse career than I did on academics in high school. And I did okay, but I I had to go to community college, which was great. It was amazing for me because you, you walk in the door and they just throw you right in the pool. Walking into the student radio station, WVHC at Herkimer, I had been a part of a great student-run station for two years. I knew exactly what to do and how to do it, right? And that first semester at Herkimer, I got an internship at WIBX Radio where I ended up working for six years Oh wow! while in college and out of college. So that training I had at Z89, like it was immeasurable to be a part of it because I walked in and I just hit the ground running. What kind of station was IBX? WIBX was a news talk station. Mm-hmm. So I got an internship. A friend of mine actually had the internship with a gentleman by the name of Brad Davies. So Brad Davies did a show called Sports Watch at night. Mm-hmm. At the time it was, you know, news talk radio it was Dr. Laura and Rush Limbaugh and that kind of thing. But at night we did the sports show. Okay. I interned with Brad and, and just I was supposed to be there one or two days a week. I ended up just kind of showing up every day and then they gave me a part-time gig as the producer, and then eventually I was the producer and co-host and ended up being the sports director after Brad left after a few years. And that was my first gig while I'm in college. And I wasn't wide-eyed and, you know, trying to figure out what to do. I knew what to do. Yeah. Because I, I I knew exactly how a radio station was supposed to, to run. And that was an advantage for me. You know, they took a chance on an 18-year-old kid. And this was a, you know, professionally run I remember people wearing ties at the time.
0: <laughs> that is a long time ago in radio.
2: Yeah, the newscasters wearing ties in the studio and they took a chance on me, but you know, they saw something in me. And that all has to do with my time at Z eighty nine slash uh, the pulse. Were
0: you at IBX when they flipped back to Z eighty nine when Dina and Harry flipped it back, or were you what was your involvement at that time?
2: I was definitely there when the fourth happened. And I was not happy about it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of tension at that point, right? There was a lot of tension about it. I didn't understand it. I remember there was some talk. I believe Harry talked about it here on the podcast. And I I messaged Harry after I listened to it. And I said, you know, I'm sorry I was so mad at you (laughs) when you you made the switch. Now, having heard that story, that incredible story that they went through at that time, not knowing it, but I remember being mad about it. I remember, uh, I, I think I wrote a letter. Mm -hmm. And posted it on the wall, if I recall correctly. (laughs) I just can't be a part of this, right? I remember sitting there doing a shift and there wasn't a ton of music at the time because as Harry explained, like they had to do it quickly. Right. And there was like talk about like he did it because they thought another station was going to flip to a similar format. And I remember Dr. Rick walking in and remember, John, at this time, I had no idea who the legend Dr. Rick was. You were the
0: only one. (laughs) I was the
2: only one who didn't know because I didn't know at the time. I certainly do now. But he's just like, I remember Dr. Rick being like, yeah, the boss come around and it's changed the format of the station radio. Just like, who is this guy? Right. And I'm sitting there. So I go from playing Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and all this music that I loved, And we didn't have a ton of music at the time. And I remember playing on the same shift. Like, I think it was Men in Black. Like, Oh, well, six Smith. times the same shift
0: <laughs> like,
2: what are we doing oh and my people god people are calling right they're calling the request line like what is going on right now and I'm just like I can't do this so um I think I I think I technically resigned okay you know, I, my internship was up at the time I was in college and you know I was working at WIBX. so I, I kind of had taken some steps past what I was doing anyway but uh Yeah, I was not happy about it, but uh, I was wrong because they needed to make that switch. (laughs) Paul's had a great run, but uh, I think that was, uh, in hindsight, that was the right decision. It really is
0: interesting to look back at those events 20 years later with the benefit of hindsight, for sure. So tell me a little bit about your career since. You've been all over. You've done a lot of stuff in, in central New York. So what
2: happens after IBX? So I worked at WIBX from 1996 to 2002. And in 2002, I was contacted by a gentleman by the name of Jim Lurch, who ran Sports Radio 620, WHEN. Oh, yeah. The frequency is still on the air, but it's not a sports station anymore. So from 2002 to 06, I worked at WHEN. I took over for Adam Shine, who was a very popular sports host. Big shoes to fill, who went national, CBS and all that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, And I felt that pressure. Trust me, I was a fan of Adam Shine. So from 2002 to 2006, I worked at WHEN. I also did uh, Syracuse basketball and football coverage on WSYR. And John, at the time, WSYR had just lost the rights to Syracuse. It had gone over to Galaxy Media, to TK99, where I work now. That's right. Okay. Think about that. The Syracuse University Sports had been on WSYR forever. Yeah just lose it. And all of a sudden, WSYR is kind of like counter-programming. They're like, you know, the voice of the fan and, you know, like kind of (laughs) going against what Syracuse was doing in a way. Right. So they counted on me to be that. And I embraced that role. It's not that I was against Syracuse. I mean, they won the freaking national championship in 2003. Right. It was a story in and of itself, John. I mean, I was on the air until five in the morning, taking calls all night from people after they won the title and God rest his soul, Joe Galuski walks in the former morning host on WSYR at five in the morning. I'll never forget it. He looks at me and goes, what the hell are you still doing here? Right. I was like, Wait. you won the national championship, baby. God, I remember that. And so 20 years ago, cause I graduated in
0: 02. My then girlfriend was still a student there. So I went back for that night. I remember watching the game in the carrier dome and they had it up on the big screens and it was uh, myself and the late Bill Leaf who I know you worked with and, and a couple of our friends we watch the game, and what do we do afterwards? We walk out of the dome. Of course, it's snowing. There's a couple inches of slush on the ground in April. Yep. And I remember just, like, trekking through the masses at Marshall Street and watching people hang from tree branches and, like, not being able to feel my legs from the knees down because they were covered <laughs> in slush and snow. I'm like, could this be any more perfect Syracuse the night they win the national championship? It's snowing in April.
2: Well, and I was supposed to go, and I can't remember why it broke down, but I didn't end up covering the game in New Orleans. Mm-hmm which I was pissed about at first, but it turned out for the best. I would rather be in my hometown, talking to the fans, people crying on the air. Yeah. And I think that's what really helped me build a bond with my listeners. I grew up here. Yeah. I went to those games. I was at the game when Pearl Washington hit the shot and when Billy Owens hit the free throws and when, you know, Michael Owens caught that two-point conversion in 1987. Go through them all. I went to all those games as a kid. In the 80s and 90s, right? So I could connect to that. That was my training ground. Yeah. Z89 and 891 the Paul's helped me figure out how to be a broadcaster and how to convey that message. But I was I was a fan trying to make that transition into broadcasting. And I was always intrigued by that. You know, I would look down courtside and see Doug Logan calling the games. And I'm like, dad, who are these people that get to sit down (laughs) by the court? And and I was always intrigued by that. And then eventually, thanks to you know, going to that Syracuse Chiefs game, I, I kind of figured out what that was. Uh, so to go back to what we were talking about. So I worked at Clear Channel, which it was at the time. So now it's 2006, John, and I have a one month old. I had just moved into a new house and Clear Channel laid me off. Was that December
0: of 06? Because that's...
2: November of 2006. Because
0: I got the zig at Clear Channel in Burlington in December of 06. Merry Christmas, time to start cutting for next year's budget. Always the way.
2: You remember, you know, we were names on a spreadsheet that had to go. I never got a good explanation for it. I remember sitting in a meeting, signing my, my papers. The severance paperwork, yeah. The severance paperwork, and someone who shall remain nameless, I was bragging about the fact that the pen that I was signing my severance papers with was purchased in Italy. You got to be freaking kidding me. I'm not kidding you. And I, uh, boy, I glared at that man like the fire of a thousand hot suns. <laughs> oh, wow. So, I mean, think about this. I, I, I've i got a one month old. I've got a, a mortgage. Thank me. My wife was gainfully employed as a teacher, but it was the worst thing that ever happened to me, John. But it was also the best thing that ever happened. Always is. Always works out when that happens. 100%. It was the best thing that ever happened to me because I got to spend a year at home with my daughter and, and ah. raise my daughter, which was incredible. Nice. And what happens is it's fight or flight, right? You know? Oh yeah. What do we tell so many young broadcasters now about connections? Oh yeah. Well, man, I called everybody I knew, mm-hmm. right? That's when you really slap it down and say, I need help. Yeah. And that led to me so this is 2007 now, and uh, a gentleman I used to sit next to at the Syracuse basketball games, shout out to Jay Clewis from Syracuse.com. He says, well, why don't you, uh, why don't you write a blog for us? Give us your takes on sports. Perfect. And I was like, great. What's a blog?
0: <laughs> 2007, okay, yeah, <laughs> all like, right.
2: He's like, just give us some takes. We'll take care of the rest, right? So I start writing for Syracuse.com part-time, trying to figure out this blog thing. Then in 2008, I get hired at the SCORE 1260. I'm working at Cumulus. I'm doing four hours in in afternoon drive. And eventually, who becomes my boss? Dan Austin. That's right. Okay, One day, we've got the big staff meeting. Who's the new boss, right? Nobody knew. Everybody's nervous. Like, what's going on? And down the stairs walks Dan Austin. And I said, I know this guy. That's great. Right? So Dan and I worked together at The Pulse. Dan was a rock star. Oh, yeah. Still is. Still is to this day. Even then, you could tell this guy's going to be running radio stations one day. Mm -hmm. I knew it. Back then, he was selling. He was doing everything you had to do. So Dan was huge in my career. He helped really forge the vision I had for the score 1260 at the time and what it should be. And I remember sitting down with Dan and another gentleman by the name of Kevin Legrette. and I kind of laid it out for him what I think a sports radio station in Syracuse should do and what it should be, and they agreed. And I remember Dan and Kevin saying to me, like, okay, listen, you know, if you want this vision to come true, you got to put some skin in the game here, and we'll back you and we'll believe in you. And that eventually turned into, we were simulcast on Time Warner Cable Sports Channel, which no longer exists, but mm-hmm. was there at the time. Uh, that turned into a gig for me as... The pre-halftime and post-game host for the Buffalo Bills Radio Network. Oh, wow. A long-time Buffalo Bills fan. What a dream come true. I mean, they sucked back then, but uh, I mean, hey, I was an NFL broadcast team for three years.
0: As a Patriots fan, I'm happy to have handed the reins over to you for the division (laughs) for the foreseeable future, but go ahead.
2: (laughs) One of the greatest days in my life is when the Bills beat the Patriots in 2011, early in that season, and we intercepted Tom Brady uh, four times. There you go. Uh, Things would get better, but at the time, that was about as good as it got, John. (laughs) So in in 2012, Syracuse.com approached me and they said, we want you to work here full time. Oh, wow. We want you to write more. We want you to do podcasts. We're in their infancy. Yep. They Wanted me to do something along the lines of digital audio. And even though radio was in my blood, you know, Dan had left at the time and I just didn't see myself growing anymore at Cumulus. I was kind of tired of corporate radio. Sure. So I left. I left on my own terms. I resigned and went to work at Syracuse.com full time. I wasn't out of radio long, though, because Ed Levine, who owns Galaxy Media, yeah. who Ed and I at one time had been, you know, big rivals. <laughs> you know, Ed used to get pissed because Jim Beheim used to compliment me in some of the post-game press conferences. And Ed would get mad at Beheim because he's like that's the other guy. He works for the competition. You can't talk about it. Because Ed
0: had the rights to the games and you're, and you're counter-programming. That's funny. OK, yeah.
2: That's right. So Ed asked me twice to come back to radio. And I said, I wasn't interested. I, I always appreciated the, the conversations and the time. But eventually, you know, Ed's pretty persistent. And Ed is, you know, somebody who's very convincing. And we had a great conversation about, okay, let's do this. It started with an hour on ESPN Radio Syracuse. That turned into two hours and a little pre and post game coverage as well for Syracuse University Sports. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm still doing two hours on the radio on ESPN Syracuse, and full-time sports columnist at Syracuse.com. And uh, to be able to to do both of those mediums at this point is uh, I'm so blessed to have that that real estate and to have that voice in Syracuse, New York, uh, quite literally on the radio, but also uh, as as the lead sports columnist at this point.
0: It is interesting because if you look at where the media landscape is right now, the dinosaurs of the old four in the door jocks where you come in, you do your shift, you go home, they are getting phased out. Like, in order to survive in this business, you have to be able to do a lot of different things. And you're personifying that right now, Baxman, because you're talking about, you know, writing for a blog while doing a radio show and having as many touch points with Syracuse fans as you possibly can.
2: It's all over the place, John, because look, when I went to Herkimer, I wanted to be Chris Berman. Sure. Right. I wanted to be on TV. And then I fell in love with radio when I got that internship at WIBX. So I get the gig at the score 1260. I eventually be simulcast on television. So you have to learn those aspects of it. Yep. I wasn't a writer. I just figured it out as I went along when Jake Lewis said, you want to write a blog, right? So writing is so important. No matter what you're in in radio, you have to write, you have to be able to have that skill. And now even today at ESPN Syracuse, we're simulcast on a site called qsportstalk.com. It's run through Twitch. I just told my students this the other night. I should add to the conversation. So here's a guy who didn't go to Syracuse, who worked at 89.1 The Pulse. And now I'm an adjunct professor at Syracuse University. I teach a, a sports interviewing class for five weeks out of the semester. And I tell my students this when we eventually get into the world of podcasting. And you know this as well as anybody, John. I said, look, podcasting is no longer an audio medium. Yeah. There is a video component you have to know, you have to do, you have to know how to edit it. You have to know every aspect of that, right? So it's so huge, even on the radio today. One big thing that we do on social media is every day my producers and I sit down after the show. We're like, what are going to be the clips today? Yes. You know, so you'll see on our ESPN, Syracuse, and Q Sports Talk social media feeds, about a minute or so clip from the show each day, which gives you a little slice of what that show was, and hopefully you click into the podcast. Like, I want to hear more, right? That's such a huge part of what we do on a daily basis. That's on the radio, but if you're doing a podcast, like, that's just standard. Like, you better be doing that, right? You do it uh, for this, and anybody that's doing a podcast, like, the audio component is where my heart is, you know, as a radio sure, guy, yeah, but yeah. you got to know everything at this point.
0: Well, you're kind of leading me to my next question, Brent. And you and I could talk podcasting all day for sure. But as somebody who has a daily radio show, where do you see the world of radio right now? And what does it need to do to stay relevant? I
2: think people that embrace the word audio, that's where we're at. Here. Yeah. Radio is great. I love the tradition of radio. I love when people say they listen on the radio. And- contrary to popular opinion, radio is not dead. Right. Radio is, is still very much a part of people's lives. It's just in different places. I mean, it's cool when somebody gets in the car and turns on the radio, but it's on your phone. It's everywhere. So wherever that radio is, it's still something that people embrace. I get the opportunity now via not only The Q Sports Talk feed, but just people that pull up ESPN on their phone on, you know, the ESPN app has an audio function and you can pick all kinds of different radio stations from across the country. People that live all over the place, not only listen, but call into the show. I have a few regular callers that don't live in Syracuse, but they want to stay connected. Yeah. Right. So that's where it's at. So you have kind of your central home base, if you will. You sit in a studio, you do a radio show on a traditional radio station. But you still have all these other ways and these formats to reach people, but you still want it to feel local. You still want them to feel connected to what's happening in Syracuse, New York that day, the day after a big Syracuse basketball game, right? You still want them to feel like I'm listening to the radio, right? No matter what device it's on, no matter what format it's on, you still have to create that intimacy, that connection. Of course. Right? That's what radio is today. We just have this amazing technology to convey that message, no matter what format it is. And now people see it. They see behind the scenes. That whole theater of the mind thing is is almost past, right? Because when you can watch me do a radio show on QSportsTalk.com, the combination of the elements, like, John, one thing that people always ask me about when I'm covering sports is something along the lines of like, what's this really like?
0: What's it like behind the scenes? With the, who's the man behind the curtain? Wizard of Oz kind of thing. Yeah.
2: Who's the man behind the curtain? What's Jim Beheim really yeah. like? What do they do with the locker room? What's going on back there, right? So that's what we can bring our viewers and our listeners now. they They see the process. They know how the sausage is made as it's being made. And they're continually fascinated by it. So I think our jobs now is to let them into the process as much as possible. So that whole... The Wizard of Oz, who's the man behind the curtain? Like, that doesn't exist anymore. Wow. You get to see it and hear everything. It seems like you've learned so much from your
0: time at IBX at JPZ. Axeman, as somebody who has been on in the market and the voice of the Syracuse fan and covering Syracuse sports for as long as you have, if you had to give one piece of advice to a young aspiring broadcaster today, what would that be?
2: Uh, my advice would be do it. Okay. Because unlike me, now I had... My PA days at Bishop Ludden High School. So I had somewhat of a training ground and I was lucky enough to intern at 891 The Pulse and get on the air. But think of the resources you have right now as a young broadcaster, yeah. right? You can start a podcast today. Sure. You can start a video stream today, right? So do it and then do all the things that all the great alums at 891 The Pulse slash the 89 will tell you. Make connections, right? If you're Somebody that goes to the Mighty Newhouse School of Communications, you've got the ultimate resources there. You don't need me to tell you that. And the amazing opportunities that are there. But the important thing is to do it, get the reps. And by the way, don't worry about how many people are watching or listening. Right. Just do it. And then eventually someone will notice you'll connect with somebody who can help you along the way. That amazing Z89 alumni base that will point you in the right directions, will give you the right, uh, you know, pointed, constructive criticism to be a broadcaster, to do what you want to do. So take advantage of this incredible space you have that I didn't have back in in the mid 1990s that you do today through everything that's available to you. And the rest will take care of itself. That is a great place to leave it. Brent
0: Axe, Man. we're going to link to all of your content in the show notes as well. Thank you for spending some time with us today.
2: John, thanks so much for having me. You're doing an incredible job with this. And shout out to all the people that have uh, been a part of Z89, but especially my 89-1 The Pulse peeps. You're, you're special to me, and, and we did something pretty cool even in a short period of time.
1: It's WJPZ at 50.
2: Hey, it's Jag. You're probably
0: listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives.
1: Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence, this is WJPZ at 50.
0: All right. So here we are now on May 25th. I mentioned this off the top. We had a great conversation, Brett and I, uh, on February 14th, actually. But things have changed a bit in the last couple months. So welcome back, sir.
2: You, things have changed slightly from <laughs> uh, that half hour conversation you just heard. And this is a, a JAG exclusive. I haven't really talked extensively about this, but I think given the audience that listens to this podcast and my WJPZ family and particularly. Any aspiring broadcasters uh, coming up listening to this? I think it's important to circle back and kind of update what happened here.
0: I appreciate that. And I do want to give you the floor to tell you the story as it happened to you. So let me give you the outside perspective from where I sit, which is Jim Beheim leaves, uh, retires as coach of the Orange. And then uh, he leans on station ownership to say, hey, Brent's been pretty critical of me over the years. We don't want him on the air anymore. Am I way off in that? Is there some truth to that? Is that exactly right?
2: Well, so I was fired on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. The day before that, it was announced by Galaxy Media that Jim Beheim was going to take on an extended role, uh, more appearances. I'm not exactly sure at this point what he's going to be doing. But look, I can't prove that Jim Beheim had me fired, Jag. Right. But I will go to my grave believing it was done to appease him. Now, full disclosure, he is a part owner of Galaxy. Do I have that right? That is correct. So, I mean, the timing of that was interesting, and it was my question to Ed Levine, who phoned me on a Sunday afternoon to fire me about Jim Beheim's involvement in the station, which caused him to go on a rant on that phone call, which you also read. And if you haven't, you can still look it up pretty much word for word on Syracuse.com. When Ed Levine talked on the record to Syracuse.com and the reasons uh, for firing me. I mean, that is almost word for word what he said to me when it was an inquiry about Jim Beheim that set him off with that. So I can't prove it. I can't prove it was done as an order by Jim Beheim. I don't know if to use a mafia term, Jag, if he ordered the hit or not. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't prove that, but I will go to my grave believing it was done as a, basically a hat tip to Beheim because the reasons for my firing where I was, you know, as Ed put it, I was too negative in my coverage, not only of Jim Beheim, but a number of things that have been going on at Syracuse University at the end of his tenure here. It's announced on a Saturday he has more involvement in Galaxy Media. I get fired on a Sunday. Like, listen, I don't think we have to go to a whole episode of Law and Order to figure out what went on here. OK. <laughs>
0: What's interesting is you talked in that conversation that, as a listener, you just heard about being the voice of the fan. And that's kind of how you made a brand for yourself, particularly when you were at SYR and Galaxy got the rights to the games. SYR didn't have the games anymore. So you're not the pregame host. You're the fan. You're talking to the fan. That's how you made your bones. You talked about being on the other night that they won the national championship back in '03, and really forming a bond with the fans. So to me, it just seems kind of ludicrous to say, well, you're being too negative toward the team. The teams have not been good lately.
2: That's exactly right, Jag. And look, while I worked for Ed Levine at Galaxy Media, right, my boss is the audience, okay? And that is at radio, that is at Syracuse.com. While I have bosses and people above me, my boss is my audience, my readers and my listeners. And I think people listening to this need to realize that. So in the aftermath here, I feel so vindicated because to a T, People that have reached out to me in various forms, text, email, DM, in the produce section at Wegmans. (laughs) I'm glad you got a Wegmans reference in. We got to get a Wegmans reference in there. To a T, Jag, have come up to me and said, thank you for what you did. Thank you for speaking for me. And many of them predicated it by saying, look, I don't always agree with you, but I appreciated the way you did your show. This is after I got fired. Jag, even before I got fired. You know, there were times during that last season where I was challenging Beheim or challenging the way things were being handled by, you know, Syracuse University Athletics, whatever the case may be. I had people come up to me then at the Dome and other places saying, hey, man, love that you're going after coach. Love that you're challenging those guys. Don't let them get away with that. Right. And you can go back and look at a couple of things that happened, the way Jim treated a student reporter Mm -hmm. at a particular press conference. There's specific things you can go back and look up. I can't say who it is, Jack, but I had somebody who, if I said their name right now, everybody listening to this would know, Mm -hmm. who came up to me, this was before I got fired, and they hugged me and said, hey, man, you're the only one who does it right. So I was feeling pretty good about doing my job. And this is a challenge that you are going to be in as a broadcaster as somebody in media, sports or otherwise, right? This is what we do. You challenge authority, right? True. You hold truth to power, however you want to frame it. And you have to decide how far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go to stand up for your readers, for your listeners, for your audience versus being safely, gainfully employed, right? What do you value more? So it cost me my job to do what I was asked to do. I mean, from day one, I was up front with Ed Levine and anybody that would hire me like, this is who I am. This is what I do. So as long as you understand, like, this is how I'm going to do my job, then, okay, let's do this thing. So I feel so vindicated that to this day, Jack, I get people that reach out to me and say, hey, man, not only do we miss you, but thank you for what you did and how you did
0: You know, you said before we sat down today, Brent, that you wanted to maybe have this be a lesson for young reporters, students, people just coming into the industry. I pretty much know the answer to this question, the way you've been speaking so far, but I'll ask it anyway. If Ed or anybody else in management or even Beheim himself had come up to you and said, hey, you gotta make a choice here. You gotta back off on the criticism or we gotta let you go.
2: How would that conversation have played out in your mind? The conversation would have been, thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thank you for the opportunity to work here, but this isn't for me. This
2: isn't for me because that's not the way I'm going to do things. While Ed has a relationship with Syracuse University athletics, sure. Alexi Media is the home of Syracuse sports, and I completely understand that. But I was hired to do the job that I was due, even with that understanding that at times I would be critical of Syracuse sports. I have, you know, I have to maintain my integrity as a journalist, as a radio host, and I'm not there to do home or radio. Right. If that's the kind of station he wants, that's completely his prerogative. But I felt like, you know, I've got a a good enough reputation in this market and I feel like I had a good enough relationship with Ed that even if I wasn't for him, that it didn't have to end that way. Like, clearly it was personal to him Mm -hmm. because I was as critical of Jim Beheim as I was, which, by the way, for the record, I only said one time once on the radio, on his radio station. That Jim Beheim had to be fired. And the circumstance of that was this. You'll recall the Wednesday Syracuse lost to Wake Forest in the ACC tournament, right? Mm-hmm. We come on the air pretty much right after that game. And this was after that awkward press conference with High when even then he was wishy-washy about what he was doing and how he was doing. It. He wasn't sure what was going on.
0: The analogy that I made at that time, Brent, was it's almost like the boyfriend who's too much of a chicken to dump the girl, yes. so he treats her badly and basically dares her to dump him. Yeah. That was the impression I got from that press conference. That's
2: a perfect way to put it. So what I did is I came on the radio at 4 o'clock that afternoon, and I said, look, if he can't make this decision, Then Syracuse University needs to make it for him. Uh An hour later, Jack, the press release comes out that Syracuse (laughs) was moving on from Bayon. So clearly, this was premeditated. This was happening regardless of what happened that day. Just the process got accelerated, right? So then that Friday, they had the make good press conference, which I'm glad they did, by the way. Sure. Nobody wanted to see this end the way that it was starting to look like it was going to. So they had the Friday press conference. Autry's officially introduced. Bayheims there. It was a great kiss and makeup session, right? Sure. Sunday, I'm fired after that. So if Ed wanted to move on and have his product be presented a different way, I completely understand that. It's his station. He can do what he wants with it. But I feel like I could have been professional enough that I could have walked away on my terms. I could have done a last show. I could have said goodbye to my listeners in a respectful manner. And it didn't even have to be mentioned publicly why I was moving on. I could have just moved on and Ed could do what he was doing and I was doing what I was doing. And hey, thanks for the opportunity, but let's move on here. But, you know, that's not the way it happened. And and here we are. And Jag, the the response that I got from people, particularly members of my JPZ family. Yeah. I can't even begin to tell you how appreciative I am of it. I, I get choked up thinking about it. I mean, I had my phone didn't stop buzzing for a week and there was a lot of national attention on this. I mean,
0: right. That's a national story of mm -hmm. coach retires as part owner of the radio station station fires radio host that was critical of said coach. I mean, that's a big story.
2: It was a big story. I wish I wasn't at the center of that story, but sure. I'm also thankful to Ed that he said what he said publicly and put it out there. As opposed to 99% of the time, you know how this goes. Yeah. You get the email that says, We wish them well. And it's very (laughs) and you've got to explain to people a hundred times what happened. Well, by him putting it out there publicly, we saw the reaction to it. Okay. I'm not tooting my own horn here, but I think Uh you can go look at the national coverage this thing got Bill Simmons, Keith Olbermann, Barstool. Sports Illustrated, I mean, you name it, the New York Post. I mean, I'm just thinking of things off the top of my head. I actually chronicled a lot of the national coverage and and held on to it, you know, for something I could show people down the road. Why not? You know, when you know you were the the center of the sports media for 24 hours. But (laughs) that was validating to me too. I feel vindicated that people saw right through it, they saw the situation. You know, now we're we're here a few months later, and it's still a story that resonates with people. And I just feel bad for the people that are on that station now because their credibility has been put under question. That audience now knows what those hosts are up against and what they're expected to do and how they're expected to cover those teams. I mean, it's out there now, right? So as long as you know that, if you're a listener of that station and you're still good with that, that's your choice. But I feel like we're kind of entering a world. Uh, Another Syracuse alum, by the way, Sam Blum, has put up with this in his coverage of the Angels. He's a writer for The Athletic, mm-hmm. and he was removed from their pregame show for the same reason, because he was too negative. So you've got to know when you get into this business what you're up against, the decisions you have to make, the parameters on which you're working. And, and like I said earlier, Jag, how far are you willing to go to serve your audience? That is something you, you've got to think about.
0: I want to ask you this question, and if you don't, if you're not able to answer, don't feel comfortable answering it. That's fine. A full disclosure: I've never met Ed Levine. You've had a long time relationship with him. Do you think that he feels, if you'd had the conversation, like you said, "Hey, listen, we want to go in a different direction. This isn't the kind of show we want anymore." You know, here's a chance for you to say goodbye to your audience. Do you believe that he thinks you would have gone on and said, Hey, listen, they want me to be too, you know, kissy yuppie to Syracuse. So that's why I came to the show anymore. by That he doesn't believe you would have just handled it professionally and left that conversation out of it?
2: I don't want to speak for him. Yeah. But based on what he said to me and based on what he said on syracuse.com, I don't think there's any question yeah. about that. Once those words came out of his mouth to me and on the record, I don't think, and it's funny because it happened anyway. Right. Yeah. But, I don't think he wanted to put himself in that position, right? I don't want to speak for him there, but that certainly seems to be the case here about why this went down and how it went down.
0: And what's interesting, too, is, you know, back in the early days of radio, back when you and I were at JPZ, you know, 25 years ago, there wasn't social media, there wasn't blogs, there wasn't podcasts, there weren't ways for you to get it out. So when you got canned by the radio station, you were just gone from the air and nobody ever got the story. Hey, what happened to my favorite DJ? Well, they're gone. You know, (laughs) We, we said we wish him well, which is, you know, like saying bless his heart in the South. But now you have all these platforms, your story is going to get out, which is kind of what's so perplexing about this whole thing
2: is. How was this story not going to come out? Right. And had it not come out the way that it did, and I just had that conversation with him, now it's my word against his. Yeah. Right? Because my conversation with him was not on the record, but he chose to put it on the record. And look, I can't speak for him. I don't know what he thought (laughs) by doing that, how that was going to make him look. Yeah. Again, I feel like he's appeasing some people that, clearly fall in a minority here and clearly are people that work at Syracuse, Beheim himself, you know, the people that were most upset about what I was saying, right? So he's kind of fallen on a sword for, this is just my opinion, he's fallen on on the sword for Syracuse University, for Beheim, whoever you want to put on that list. Meanwhile, you have a whole audience out there that you're trying to serve. Right. That you pissed off Mm -hmm. by getting rid of the person who I think by all accounts was probably the most fair in their coverage of this whole thing and held Syracuse, Bayheim, whoever you want to put on this list, most accountable for what they had to be held accountable for at that time, right? That's something I wasn't going to do and I will never do. I will never sugarcoat it. Yeah. I will never, you know, short of being, if, if I worked for Syracuse University, that'd be different. But as long as I'm in the position I'm in, I am going to serve my audience as, as best as I can. And Jag, no matter what happens from here on out, okay, I will have my integrity. Yeah, And I will have no regrets, not a single regret about how I did it, how I covered it, and how I served my audience. And to be able to say that feels a hell of a lot better than still having a job in that situation. I'm not going to lie.
0: You know, what you're talking about is something that they don't always teach us at SU, and some of us may or may not have learned at JPZ, which is there is a business to this piece of it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, much, much more minor scale. But uh, so many of us, like I worked for Clear Channel iHeart for a number of years, and you were there too, where all oh, you got to go on, you got to promote the iHeart Radio Music Festival, and you got to promote the iHeart Radio Music Awards, or promote this, promote this, promote this, at the detriment of putting out good content to your audience. And I had a mentor when I was working at iHeart who said, hey, I know what you're thinking, but those who follow the corporate mandates succeed in this company and get promoted. Those who don't embrace corporate initiatives don't. And he cited some examples that were pretty powerful at the time without mentioning names. So there is that piece of it. You know, what do you say to a student or to a young alum who thinks, well, geez, you know, am I going to be in a situation where I've got to compromise my values or good content for the sake of my boss? You mentioned, you know, you don't work for Syracuse University, but you're working you're worth working for Galaxy, who makes money from Syracuse University to cover the games. So there's a lot of gray area here, Brent.
2: There is. And so here's where this is going to become a tad ironic. I'm an adjunct professor at Syracuse University. Right. You mentioned that in the podcast. I teach a class for five weeks each semester. And in the first 10 minutes of every class, Jack, I make it abundantly clear to my students, like you are going to get the real deal perspective of somebody that's working in the business and you are going to learn things. As you just said, which made me think of it, that they don't teach you here. Yeah. And one of the things that I tell them is what you just said. You have to learn all aspects of this business not just how to do what we do as journalists, but this is a business and all the people that affect it and how that will affect you and what you do and what you're willing to tolerate in doing that. Now, I'm talking about things that, oh, damn the man and look what I did. There's been plenty of things, Jag, that I've done that I'm sure you've done that we had to hold our nose and do. Yeah. Because I did want to keep my job. Right. Like you can't just be, you know, the fighting rebel every time you get a memo to do something like you. (laughs) You have to be a good employee, too. Right. But I think that's something, again, in particular to the audience that's listening to this current students, future students, those that have not entered the business yet that you need to know and you need to educate yourself about. You need to know all aspects of what you're doing, stressing that word business. Right the sales end of things and the business end of journalism, learn about that, how it works, what the priorities are, what you'll be expected to do. You know, I write for Syracuse.com, which is now a, the emphasis is on subscriptions. Yeah. Right. And how that business works, know how that works, know what your role in that is. Right. If you're in radio, know what your role is, In terms of sales, communication with sales, what you're going to be expected to do to help sales, right? And we can go through all the different aspects of business here. If you go into this yourself, right? If you want to go on your own and do a podcast and do a newsletter and do it that way, well, you've got to know how to sell that thing. You've got to know how to get people to subscribe to you, to solicit advertisers and all the various ways you can make money doing this, right? So I can't stress that enough. It's cool to do what we do, sports or otherwise. And there's been so many great stories of people on this podcast that get to do something they love to do, which is great. And I would encourage you to pursue that, but just know everything you possibly can. (laughs) It's all out there. That's, you know, we live in a world where there's not much you're going to discover. You're like, oh, crap, I didn't know that about this. It's all out there now. So you're the best you can to educate yourself about it.
0: I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, Brent, Mm -hmm. what has your relationship or how has your relationship been with Bayheim over the last few years? Has it been contentious? Has it been up and down? What's been your
2: relationship with him before we got to this point? It it has soured. Yeah. Sadly, Um, I used to interview Jim weekly when I was working at Galaxy. I was the one that interviewed him uh, once a week. Yep. I enjoyed those interviews. I think he enjoyed those interviews because I was pretty straightforward with Jim. I didn't kiss his ass. He knew he was going to get real questions, but I was going to be fair. Yeah. It's his interview, right? Right. I want to give him the floor to say what he has to say. If I had to push back a little bit, I would. So starting the season prior to this one, I was no longer doing that interview. Uh. He chose to go on another show. Same thing with Dino Babers, by the way. That's a whole different topic for a different day. I think I have a better relationship with Dino. And look, to be fair to Jim, OK, I did not cover as many games in person as I had prior the last few years. And that's a whole different story about some responsibilities I had at Syracuse.com and doing a, a postgame show. Sure. Which did not allow me to be at the Dome for as many games as I wanted to be. Yeah. So we I was not in as many press conferences in front of Jim as I wanted to be. And that's another thing that I would stress to anybody getting in this job. No matter what your opinions are, you got to show up. You got to be there, right? If you're going to criticize the people that you are covering, you better show up whenever you possibly can and sit right in front of them at press conferences, whatever the case may be, just, you know, to show and, and to be fair. So I had not been in as many games to maintain that relationship in recent years. So. Um, It has broken down. We no longer have a relationship. Got it. And I felt like, to Jim's credit, he was one of the most accessible people out there. Outside of formal interviews, you can call Jim Bay I'm you can get him on the phone. I don't know if I can do that now. (laughs) Well, yeah. I think that's the cost of the honesty that I presented uh, what was happening in that situation.
0: Is there anything, Brent, related to this story, to your perspective on things that you want to get out there that I have not yet asked you about?
2: I don't think so. I, I think you've really covered all the things I felt like we needed to cover that I feel like people needed to hear. Particularly, again, those that are up and coming in this business, and you know, you're getting the the real raw story of of what you can encounter. I just hope that the lessons people take from these situations make them more aware of either what they're getting into, or maybe there's somebody listening to this that's in a situation, media or otherwise. And they have said, maybe it's not worth it for me, right? There's always something on the other side. Take it from somebody who has been fired from a radio job, has been laid off from a radio job, and who left a radio job to pursue something else. You know, I had three different opportunities there. Yeah, There is life on the other side, and you will find your way. And I will say this too, particular to this podcast we're listening to and the JPZ family we have, man, what do we talk about all the time? What do we tell students all the time about making connections? Yeah. And when you really need something, leaning on those connections, that more than anything has carried me through the past couple of months. Those connections, those people reaching out, me in some cases reaching out. Jack, you are very high on that list. You have been so helpful to me. Appreciate that. Thank you. I can't even tell you. So make sure you... I don't want to say take advantage. That's not the right way to frame it. But all these connections that you are going to build in your JPZ family, when you really need them, they're there for you. So please, please know that. That's a perfect way to bring it
0: back around. Brent Axe, thank you for your time. Thank you for your transparency and honesty and telling your side of the story and and doing it here. Always appreciate spending time with you.
2: Thank you, Jag. And again, thank you for everything you've done here on WJPZ at 50. It's been an incredible thing and
1: your efforts are are greatly appreciated by myself and so many others. right now.